Good morning. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Bankery Christian Fellowship Church. It's great to, to join with you this morning as we, as we come together to, to worship God. Um, and it's, it's wonderful to consider where God has brought us from this morning, um, where he has brought us from geographically, where he's brought us from um, culturally, where he's brought us from in our own personal lives to bring us to this point this morning where we come to, to be in this building, to sing songs of praise, to pray prayers to God, and to, to come and to read his word together. It's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to see God at work in our lives personally, and God at work in the world through, through geography and through history. Our God is a God of, of salvation, a God of power, and that's because of this that we come this morning to, to come and to worship him. David's going to come and give our reading now for this morning. Good morning. Uh, the reading this morning is taken from Acts chapter 11, reading from verses 19 to 30. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them was named Agabus. One of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, David. Let me just pray for us before Duncan comes to to preach. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it, and we, we pray that you would speak through Duncan this morning as you speak to us. By the power of your spirit, would you be at work in us as we listen? Uh, would you change us so that we become more like Christ. And Lord, we we pray for the children in junior church just now. We thank you for them, and we thank you that you speak to them through the same word. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would be speaking to them through their teachers this morning, that they might come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, good morning, and let me uh, also welcome you here today. Thanks for coming to join with us. 
I was recently on a, on a church website where, uh, I don't know, what's the first thing you click on when you go onto a church website? For me, I click on the tab that says about us. And um, it said something like, we, we are a church uh, for students, young professionals, and families. And I suppose at first glance that sounds very welcoming until you imagine that, well, well, what if you're not a student or a young professional or part of a family? Well, you realize then actually just how exclusive that sort of approach to church is. And it's easy to slip into this way of thinking. Sometimes when people are frustrated in their church, the, the solution that comes to mind is to say, you know what we need? We need a new church, one that will appeal to, and you can insert whatever you thought was missing there, whatever particular group of people, whatever taste preference. If only we had a church that managed to do that, that's what we need. But it falls into the same mindset that to reach a specific group of people, maybe we just need a specific type of church. And so over the years, this has led to, believe it or not, churches for bikers, churches for students, churches for sci-fi geeks. Well, I may have made the last one up, but it's, it's, it's possible. But that is not the Bible's vision for church. And in many ways, we have a test case before us in this passage that David read for us in Acts chapter 11. If you were with us last week, we had reached a, a monumental new chapter in the mission of God. The message about Jesus Christ moved definitively beyond the Jewish world and into the non-Jewish world. Before Acts chapter 10, the story of the early church was pretty much an entirely Jewish story. Jewish people were becoming Christians. But in Acts chapter 10, Gentiles, which is just a word for people who are not Jews, they, they trusted in Jesus. They too received the Holy Spirit in exactly the same way as the first Jewish converts had. And in this part of Acts 11, we see a new church is formed, far away from Jerusalem, that center of Judaism, that birthplace of the New Testament church, we're now 300 miles north of Jerusalem in the city of Antioch. We're in Gentile country. And this is a significant move. Antioch is actually going to become the new center of gravity for the story of the early church through the rest of the book of Acts. What kind of church will they need to be? What will it take to have a church that works for Gentiles? Well, the answer is, well, not much different from what's needed anywhere else. The same sort of thing that's needed here in rural Aberdeenshire. What we get a glimpse of here in this part of Acts 11 is God's mission of planting and building. Key principles for any church. And I want to draw your attention to three things here. The first one is this. Churches are planted where Jesus is received 
as Lord. Churches are planted where Jesus is received as Lord. So, verse 19 takes us back to a a detail that was found in chapter 8 of this book. A season of persecution had come, and it had caused Christians to be scattered out of the city of Jerusalem. Things were just too dangerous there. They had to flee for their lives. It was a hard, hard time for those early Christians. But it actually served for the advance of the gospel. In fact, Christians had made it 300 miles north to Antioch. And verse 19 tells us that they had gone right up the Mediterranean, co- Mediterranean coast. That's the region of Phoenicia. They'd set sail for Cyprus. And along the way, they did what they had always done. They preached the gospel. Verse 19 says they were speaking the word, but only to Jews. And up to this point, they thought this was the mission. It was a mission of gathering in the dispersed Jews Why would God be interested in the non-Jews? But there were some who were bolder. Verse 20, but there were some men of Cyprus and of Cyrene. Cyrene is modern-day Libya, who when they got to Antioch, it says they spoke to the Hellenists, which is shorthand way of saying Greek-speaking non-Jews. They were brave enough to go outside the Jewish camp. And what were they doing? Preaching the Lord Jesus. Preaching the Lord Jesus. Simple, really. They didn't go around offering them a a doctrine, didn't offer them a code of ethics, didn't offer them a series of religious rituals to follow, but instead they declared a person. They declared the Lord Jesus. That's who they offered to these Greek-speaking non-Jews. So, what does that mean? What does it mean they preached the Lord Jesus? Well, it's a message about who Jesus is. He is Lord Jesus. This is not just the Christians saying, well, I I think he's Lord. This is not just a Christian saying, well, he's my Lord. No, this is saying something much, much bigger. It is saying Jesus is the Lord. He is God. It is to go to these Uh, pagan people, and to say to them, the creator and the sustainer of everything that there is, the one who made everything for His glory and for our good, the eternal God, that's who Jesus of Nazareth is. He is the Lord. He is the one to whom we will all give an account for the life that He's given to us. Now, that might not sound like a really wild thing for a Christian to say, but you've got to remember where that story goes. To say that Jesus is Lord, God, creator, sustainer, sovereign over all things is all well and good until you then say, well, he was the peasant born in the not very highly regarded part of a small province of the Roman Empire. 
a man who had nothing to his name, who had no formal education, who was rejected by his countrymen, condemned to death on a criminal's cross, this Jesus is the Lord. That's a harder message to swallow all of a sudden. But this is part of this bigger message of how God created human beings, of how they rebelled against Him. And without exception, each one of these human beings have turned away from God and deserve to stand before the Lord only to face condemnation forever. And yet God Himself comes as a man to bear the penalty that our sins deserve. God commits to save sinners who deserve judgment and to do that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ the Lord. And when you understand that message, you see why it is so crucial that these Christians who were scattered, they don't present a doctrine or a form of religion. They must present Jesus the Lord because it's only through Him it's only through belonging to Him that we can be right with God. So that we stand before God and do so united to God's Son, Jesus, and say, look to Him. He's my Savior, the Lord. This is a message that highlights just how much Jesus loves us because, you know, He's the Lord. He knows how much we have fouled up our lives and quite possibly done the same for other people's lives as well, and yet He still comes to save us. I mean, no one in this room knows how sinful you really are, but God does, and yet He still sends His Son to save us. But it highlights, too, the enormity of rejecting this Jesus. To reject Jesus is to reject the Lord. It is to reject your Creator, the one to whom you are accountable. No, they went into this region, they went into the town of Antioch, the city of Antioch, and said, Jesus is the Lord. And you see what the Lord did through that preaching. Look at verse 21. His hand was with him, was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And so here in Antioch, we have this great number of new believers. A new local church has emerged. Churches are planted where Jesus is received as Lord's, where this message is declared and responded to with belief and repentance. I mean, that's what's captured there in, in, the, in the turn of phrase. They believed and they turned to the Lord. What was it that converted these Gentiles? What was it that brought them into the church in great numbers? The same thing that brought the Jews in in great numbers, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the same Jesus we hold forth today, the same Jesus who saves people today. Whatever your background, whatever language you've come in here with, 
This same Jesus, we proclaim Him, the Lord, who gave Himself for a sinner like you. Believe and turn to Him. For Antioch, that's not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. Now, you may have noticed there's a lot of talk in the news at the moment about the possibility of one country invading another. And the discussion goes around all of the things that we think would be required for them to successfully do that. And it takes more than you think, doesn't it? And history has many examples of where this really wasn't taken into account. Because you see, it's one thing to advance into new territory, but it is vital to consolidate those advances. You want to make sure that you have adequate supply lines to supply this new territory you've taken. You want to make sure there's enough manpower to keep this new territory secure. If you overlook these things, then these advances will be short-lived at best. And it's that sort of commitment that we see here in Antioch. What we see is that strengthening churches is vital work. Strengthening churches is vital work. So, news of what has happened in Antioch trickles the 300 miles back up to Jerusalem. And the leaders of the church there, when they hear the news, let me tell you what they did not say. They did not say, well, that's an, that's an awfully long way from here. That's amongst a different kind of people from us. Let's just let them get on with it, see what comes. No, the, if I could put it this way, the mother church in Jerusalem, they felt a sense of responsibility for these new Christians. And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And what a superb choice. We've encountered Barnabas a few times. He was originally from Cyprus, and he has a track record in the little we know of him of serving others for their encouragement. And in fact, Barnabas wasn't his real name. It was a nickname, which means son of encouragement. And we see more of that on display in this episode in his life because Barnabas understood and the church leaders in Jerusalem understood that strengthening churches is vital work. Barnabas was not the sort of guy who deep down hated to see someone else thriving. No, verse 23, when he comes to Antioch, what does he see? He sees these converts. He sees this new church that's been planted he sees the grace of God, and he was glad. And Barnabas's role here is not to say to them, right, you've, you've, you've done well up to here, but there's a few things you've got way, way off here. You're going to need to change course here. If it was up to me, you would do it this way. There's none of that. Is there? Look at what he encourages them to do. Still verse 23, he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Or another way that's translated could be to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. Isn't that another way of saying, keep doing what you're doing, guys? Keep on going. 
you've come to understand and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, then keep faithful to Him, true to Him, keep loving Him and serving Him as you're doing. But Barnabas does more than just tell them that. He gives himself to help make this happen for them. He gives himself to help strengthen these young believers. And he sees very quickly that this is a bigger job than he can do on his own, and he has in mind just the guy who God has equipped to help him do it. Saul of Tarsus. Saul, the man who was miraculously converted on the road to Damascus, who's been in obscurity in Tarsus for the last seven years, maybe as much as seven years. So Barnabas goes and finds him, brings him to Antioch, and together they stay there for a whole year. And they, verse 26, taught a great many people. Barnabas has the heart of an encourager here. Barnabas was the guy who vouched for Saul when he came to Jerusalem the first time, and he recognized in Saul the gifts that would be well suited to serve this work of strengthening the church. But his heart of encouragement is seen in being ready to settle in Antioch, to settle there for a year. In fact, Antioch became Saul and Barnabas' home church. He was ready to invest in people, to help them to be built up in their faith by teaching them, by continuing to preach the Lord Jesus. This was the dominant theme in the church, so much so that those outside the church in trying to describe this new community that had appeared in their city, came up with this name for them, Christians. Christians. It's very unlikely that Christians themselves came up with this name. It may even have been used in a derogatory way, but it does tell us what they were known for. They were always going on about Christ is really what the name means. Those people who are always going on about Christ. You see, Christ is not just Jesus' surname. It's a title. It means Messiah. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus the Messiah or anointed one. This was what mattered to this church. You could not adequately adequately describe the disciples of Jesus without mentioning this. They were Christians. They are the Christ people. And just even in this almost photograph that we have of the church in Antioch, it just seems so fitting. It's so fair. This church was planted as people recognized that Jesus is Lord. This identity of Jesus is key. This church was built up as they were taught about the Lord Jesus. They really are Christians. They really are the Christ people. And I suppose this detail forces us to stop and ask, perhaps firstly, what are we known as? As people look on at this community of disciples, how do they describe us? What are we known as? 
Are the disciples of Jesus here known as Christians in any meaningful sense of that word? Or maybe the question to ask is, what do we want to be known as? Let me give you some possibilities of what we might want to be known as, which might help us think about this. Do we want to be known as the the doing good for others people? Oh yes, those guys in Hillabankery, they're the doing good for others people. Do we want to be the, you'll get a very warm welcome there people? Do we want to be, those are the guys with the good branding people? They're the great coffee church. Or perhaps we want to go a little deeper. They're the tolerant crowd. They're the climate care people. They're the slick music people. They're the people who like to rebel against the government. Now, for many of those things, maybe it would be appropriate to be known for those qualities or those stands However, not one of those things, however worthy, must ever be allowed to displace this key distinctive that we see again and again in the church, in the Scriptures. We are Christians. We are the Christ people. All these other things will only ever find their merit and their place below in the service to Jesus Christ. Now, first and foremost, we want to be those people who are always going on about Jesus. This is why we have set ourselves the aim of having Jesus Christ at the center of everything that we do, because we're here to proclaim Him And it was as the church in Antioch did that, that you get little phrases like this, a great number were added to the Lord. In fact, just look at how that particular um, turn of phrase is used. I've worked three times in this section. Verse 21, a great number who believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 24, great many people were added to the Lord. Verse 26, Saul and Barnabas reached a great many people. Folks, strengthening the church is vital work, and we do that as we proclaim Jesus Christ and as we point one another to the Lord Jesus. What's modeled for us in Antioch is actually quite simple. Saul and Barnabas come alongside these new converts and teach them more about Jesus and what it means to follow Him. Antioch was a brand new church. There were very few mature Christians there. And so Saul and Barnabas have to labor hard amongst this this immature church in order to help bring them to full maturity in their faith. But hey, we have the privilege of having had a church here for more than 20 years. And we have people who are at all ages, all stages of life, and of the Christian life. And so we too must play our part in this vital work of strengthening the church, of doing this actually rather simple thing of coming alongside another Christian 
to encourage them in their walk with Jesus, to talk with them about what it means to follow Jesus, to read the Bible together, to simply spur one another on by praying together. And so, because it's so simple, I, I want to ask the simple question, who, who could you be that for in the coming days and weeks? I mean, maybe you're here today and you feel like you need someone to do that for you. You're right. Whoever you are, you're right. You do. I do. And who could you ask? Who could you meet up this week for no other reason than simply to encourage them as they follow Jesus? Well, I love how this chapter closes because it is so revealing to us about the sort of work that Jesus does by the Holy Spirit in the lives of Christians. I mean, if you consider this passage as a whole, it is the story of two-way traffic. At the start, the church in Jerusalem is made aware of a need in Antioch, and so they send Barnabas to help. And you come towards this, this last paragraph from verse 27, you find that also from Jerusalem, some prophets had been sent to Antioch to help them. And at the end of this section here, we find that Antioch is made aware of a material need that is going to hit the church in Jerusalem and Judea. And so they send back down the road Saul and Barnabas with some practical support. We learn here that to be part of the family of God is to care for the family of God. To be part of the family of God is to care for the family of God. Agabus is an interesting chap. He is the, the prophet who appears here, verse 27, 28. He's going to show up again later in the book of Acts. And he's simply described to us as one of the prophets. Later in the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tells us that the Lord Jesus has given gifts to the church, particularly gifted individuals. He tells us that there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor-teachers. Gifts to the church to equip the church, to strengthen the church, so that Christians might be equipped to serve. Elsewhere in that same letter, we're told that the church is built on this foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And here what we see is, is as the prophets and apostles speak, well, this is the conduit through which God delivers His Word to the church. That's how God communicated His Word to the people of God in these foundational years of the church, before it was written down, and even as it was being written down, these are the men, and we'll find later women, that God used to bring His Word to the church. And so, when we read of the prophet speaking here in Acts 11, we are to understand God is speaking. They are hearing God's words. And in this case, verse 28, He's foretelling that there's going to be a famine over the whole known world. Luke, who writes the book of Acts as the impeccable historian that he is, tells us that this took place in the reign of Emperor Claudius. So, think early 40s AD. And so, when the church in Antioch hear this message through the prophet, 
their mind goes to the Christians who are living in Judea, the region surrounding Jerusalem. They clearly have some awareness of the poverty that already exists among the Christians there, and just how hard a famine would be upon them. And so, every one, look at verse 29, every one of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters living in Judea. I mean, let's not miss what's happening here. This predominantly Gentile church, made up of people who have been made to feel all their lives as though they are unclean outcasts by Jews, they want to sacrifice some of their own comfort and security to help the church in Judea, which is exclusively made up of Jewish Christians. What's happened? What could explain this turnaround? Well, this is exactly what the gospel does. It brings people from different backgrounds, people who are separated by all manner of walls and hurdles, and brings them together into the same family. This new life that is ours in Jesus changes our outlook on things, changes how we think about people. Those who, naturally speaking, should be our enemies, well, in Christ we see them as family. And to be part of the family of God means caring for the family of God. God reveals this need to the church in Antioch through the prophet Agabus. And we easily get distracted here. Do not, whatever you do, miss this. God does not give this predictive word to the church merely to satisfy their curiosity, but so that they might respond to His words. And crucially here, that they might demonstrate through their actions the unity that they have in Christ with all believers. The message of the prophet here was for the unity of the church. And I fear that much of the the debate and argument we get ourselves into about the place of, of prophecy in the life of the church today ends up in the opposite, doesn't it? One thing I will say with confidence is that we do not need to wait for a prophetic voice to tell us about the needs of our fellow Christians. We already know that information is abundantly available. If we're not ready to act on what we already know, why would we need a prophetic word to tell us about something else if we're not ready to act on what God has already shown us? Let me mention some. You'll have heard me mention some of these before. Other Christians in your church family here are discouraged, some are lonely, some are struggling to keep going in their walk with Jesus, some have deep doubts. They need someone to come alongside them. That's in your church family. Scotland needs the gospel. It needs gospel workers. 
It needs church leaders. The church in Scotland needs these things. The Deeside Valley needs gospel churches. And if that's to be a reality, it needs churches to invest in equipping leaders, equipping church planters, and to do so with some urgency. How can we contribute to meeting that need that we already know about? Christians in Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, Libya, Yemen, are living in the most hostile places on planet Earth for Christians to live right now. Some of them have paid for that with their lives. Many of them are incarcerated as we speak, and all of them, if they are going to practice their following of Jesus Christ, they will do so in secret. What can we do? How does our heart go out to those brothers and sisters who are maybe many hundreds of miles away from us, may be very different from us, may have a different color of skin from us? How can we reflect that same attitude that was in Antioch to understand that they are my responsibility? What can we give? How can we pray? How can we raise the profile of what these Christians are suffering? These are some of the ways in which we can help to meet the needs and strengthen the church of Jesus Christ. We don't need a new church. We just need the church to be the church, a place where Jesus is proclaimed and recognized as Lord where strengthening the church is vital work and where the needs of the church in other places is something that we feel responsibility for. This is God's mission of planting and building and together we must look to him to do more of all of this in our lives, in our church community, in our local community, in our land and wherever the gospel has yet to go. Uh, But let's just say the words of the grace together. And notice in there that we're speaking of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's say these words to each other as we part. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen. Thank you.